Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Heightened Intentions While Being Beyond Medicine. I'm your host, board certified physician assistant Nicole Desimone, and today we embark on a journey of understanding, compassion, and hope as we delve deep into a crucial topic that affects countless lives worldwide. But first, a necessary clarification. Well, I bring a medical perspective to this podcast, the content shared here is purely for informational purposes. It does not substitute professional medical advice. For personalized guidance, always consult with a qualified healthcare professional. Your health and mental well-being are paramount, and our goal here is to empower you with knowledge. Please use this information responsibly and seek guidance when needed. Let us begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this debut episode of Heightened Intentions While Being Beyond Medicine. I'm so beyond excited to start this journey to holistic health and self-empowerment with you all. Each episode, I hope to bring you relevant information, strategies, and tangible tools to improve your overall health and wellness. Today's episode is dedicated to a critical and sensitive topic, suicide awareness and prevention. Since 2002, September 10th has been recognized as World Suicide Prevention Day. In 2008, this awareness was extended to the entire month of September, coined as National Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. I have chosen to publish this podcast focusing on suicide prevention and awareness outside of this month to emphasize that suicide is a complex and sensitive topic that is deserving of our year-round attention, constant vigilance, and increased understanding. To set the stage, let's examine the staggering statistics surrounding suicide. Suicide rates have unfortunately been on the rise, with a 37% increase from 2000 to 2018. Though there was a temporary 5% decrease between 2018 and 2020, the numbers have rebounded to its peak in 2001 with an average of 132 completed suicides per day in the United States. Let's explore further statistics to better understand the gravity of the situation. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, suicide is now the 11th leading cause of death in the United States. Their most recent published data from the CDC as of 2022 revealed a significant increase in provisional deaths by suicide, with a total of 49,449 occurring in the United States, with approximately 79.3% of these deaths being male. In 2021, the suicide rates among males was approximately four times higher than females. Although adult females have reported suicidal attempts about 1.3 times as often as males. This striking discrepancy is a clear cause for concern. I'd like to take a moment here to consider the stigma associated with mental health and seeking help, especially for men. The specific gender roles ingrained within our society, specifically regarding men and being strong, not needing help, 
Imagine how this may have impacted these numbers. It seems there could be a direct correlation between this and the high proportion of suicides in males. We'll also talk later about the methods of suicide, and I think that that also has a connection. Suicide does not discriminate. It affects people across demographics and age groups. The rates were higher among adults aged 25 to 34 years old and 75 to 84. Although younger groups have consistently lower completed suicide rates than middle-aged and older adults, this issue is still deeply impacting young adults and individuals, with up to 10% of high school students reporting suicide attempts within the last year. This is important because it brings up the concept that these statistics regarding completed suicides are just the tip of the iceberg. For each person who has completed suicide, there are even more who have made unsuccessful attempts or who are thinking about it, even more with plans or just general passive suicidal ideation consisting of maybe feelings of just not wanting to be here or thinking that life would be better off without them. In 2015, approximately 9.8 million adults in the United States had serious thoughts of suicide, with over half of them not receiving the necessary mental health services. Beyond gender and age differences, suicide is a problem that transcends ethnic and racial boundaries. It's essential to note that overall, suicide rates are higher among certain ethnic and racial groups. In 2021, non-Hispanic American Indians and Alaska Native people had the highest rate of suicide per 100,000 individuals, followed by white Americans, which make up the most in numbers. The CDC trends show a 6.1% decrease in suicides among these American Indian and Alaska Native people, including youth from 2021 to 2022. While these statistics are specific to the United States, it's crucial to recognize that suicide is a global concern. The World Health Organization estimates that over 700,000, I'm going to repeat that, 700,000 deaths are by, completed by suicide each year worldwide, with 77% of these occurring in low- and middle-income countries. Suicide risk is understood in the terms of the stress diathesis model. The diathesis stress model, also known as the vulnerability stress model, is a psychological theory that attempts to explain a disorder or its trajectory as a result of an interaction between a predispositional vulnerability, the diathesis, and stress caused by life experiences. It is argued that psychiatric illness is present in up to 90% of all cases of suicide, mainly major depressive disorder, but also including schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, personality disorder and traits, conduct disorders, and anxiety disorders, most of which go untreated up until the time of death. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, some symptoms of depression include persistent feelings of sadness, anxiousness, or emptiness, feelings of hopelessness or pessimism, 
feelings of irritability, frustration, restlessness, feelings of guilt, worthlessness, hopelessness, or helplessness, loss of interest or pleasure in hobbies and activities, decreased energy, fatigue, or feeling slowed down, difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions, difficulty sleeping, waking up early in the morning, or oversleeping, changes of appetite or unplanned weight changes, physical aches or pains, headaches, cramps, or digestive problems that do not have a clear physical cause or do not go away with treatment, thoughts of death or suicide or suicidal attempts. Although these typically need to present most days over the course of two weeks to warrant a diagnosis from a qualified mental health professional or medical professional, it is important that if you feel you are experiencing these things and they are impacting your life, your work, your relationships, that you should seek help with a medical professional. Recognizing the warning signs is critical for suicide prevention. As a friend or a peer, this can be difficult to notice. It's important to look out for a change in a family or friend's behavior or the presence of new behaviors, especially concerning when the new or changed behavior is a response to a painful event, loss, or change. Most people who commit suicide will exhibit some warning sign in their actions or words. This could look like talking about killing themselves, feeling like a burden, feeling helpless, hopeless, having no reason to live, being trapped or in an unbearable pain. Behaviors that may be a warning sign can include increased substance use, including alcohol or illicit drugs, looking for a way to access lethal means, or searching online for methods to end their life, isolating themselves from friends and family, increased anger, rage, extreme mood swings, sleeping a lot or maybe a lot less talking or posting on social media about wanting to die, giving away their prized possessions, calling or visiting people to say goodbye, and relief or sudden improvement in any of these symptoms. If you notice someone exhibiting these signs, do not hesitate to reach out and start a conversation with them. It's so important that I want to talk about a myth here that talking about suicide will increase the risk or maybe put the thought in someone's head. If you're worried about someone, do not hesitate and reach out. Don't stay silent. It's important to let people know that you worry that they will hurt themselves. This can act as what we call a protective factor. When they're having a hard time and they're thinking these negative suicidal thoughts, you may save them. They may start thinking about how you said that you'll miss them or how you're worried. So it's so important to have the hard conversations. This is what's important in the world here. And that's why I'm so happy to have this platform. Having a family history of suicide or knowing a loved one who has completed suicide is a risk factor. It's important to note that committing suicide increases the risk of your loved ones committing suicide. If you're thinking about suicide, remember that you committing suicide impacts your kids, your brothers, your sisters, your fa family and friends. As a parent, 
if you're committing suicide, this sends the unfortunate subconscious message that this is an appropriate coping skill to these hard times. Studies have also found that people with a history of a single suicidal attempt are about 38 times more likely to die by suicide than one of the general population. This statistic underscores the importance of providing ongoing support to individuals who have previously attempted suicide to reduce the likelihood of their further attempts. The same is true on a community level, with suicide clusters within the community acting as a risk factor for one completing or attempting suicide. Other community risk factors include lack of access to health care, stress of community violence, historical trauma, and discrimination. Research shows that certain populations may be at a higher risk due to specific factors. For example, military veterans face an increased risk of suicide. In 2019, veterans accounted for approximately 11% of the adults in the U.S. population, but represented 18% of adult suicides. This emphasized the need for tailored suicide prevention efforts for veterans, which include access to mental health care and support services. Suicide risk is influenced by various factors, such as mental illnesses, past experiences, substance use, and external stressors. These stressors or other risk factors may include chronic illnesses, legal problems, job-related stress, and a history of adverse childhood experiences. It's important to remember that suicide is often a result of a combination of these stressors and risk factors that lead to suicidal ideation and behavior rather than a single cause. Despite the dismay of so many possible risk factors, it's important to highlight that there are protective factors like coping skills, strong relationships, and access to healthcare that can help reduce this risk. These protective factors are instrumental in preventing suicide. They promote emotional resilience, and provide a support system for individuals who may be experiencing distress. In relationships, it is protective when you have support from partners, friends, and families, and when you're able to feel connected with others. To be able to have the hard conversations, like this, and feel heard. Make sure, if you're in a relationship, when you worry about the other, that you tell them as this, again, may prevent them from committing suicide down the line. Remember, you saying that you're worried about them and asking someone directly about suicide will not put the idea into their head. Many are going to be relieved that you are willing to have this hard conversation. This is the danger in the stigma. Not only are people afraid to reach out for help, but now we are being conditioned to fear having the hard, important conversations. Within a community, it's so important for individuals to feel connected to schools, churches, and other social institutions. This raises the importance of building communities and structures. The availability of consistent and high-quality physical and behavioral health care is also a protective factor within communities. As a society, cultural, religious, or moral objectives to suicide are known protective factors. Beliefs that encourage individuals and emphasize connection and help-seeking when needed, discourage suicidal behaviors, and create strong senses of purpose and self-esteem act as protective to individuals. 
When I talk about suicidal thoughts and I'm determining with my patients risks, I ask them if they have any plans or the intent to act upon these plans. Many times, people reference their kids, family, or religion as reasons that they would never commit suicide despite severe depression and chronic suicidal thoughts. It's important to remember that these are protective so that we can continue to grow and connect with each other and be as protective as we can at the individual and community level. Beyond the clear warning signs, it's essential to understand that most people who survive a suicide attempt, ranging from 85 to 95%, go on to engage in life. This statistic underscores the importance of early intervention and support in times of crises. If we can get people through that initial moment, we can get them to move on and enjoy life at a higher purpose. The CDC emphasizes that when individuals at risk choose to call a service with a mission focused on suicide prevention, ambivalence about dying by suicide is often present. This ambivalence becomes a key factor while intervening and offering hope to those in distress. In a systematic review titled Improving Suicide Prevention Through Evidence-Based Strategies, Mann and Michael note that one of the most effective strategies for preventing suicide involves expanding depression management education for primary care providers and non-psychiatric medical specialists such as internists and OBGYNs. These healthcare professionals often encounter individuals at risk with a significant portion of suicide attempts occurring within their care. In fact, they encounter 45% of future suicide attempts within 30 days prior to the attempt, and 77% within 12 months. These statistics not only highlight the importance of educating primary care providers to recognize and address depression and other risk factors, but support facilitating the timely referral to mental health services when needed. Additionally, Mann and Michael have found that another effective and scalable method to preventing suicidal behaviors and ideation has been educating high school students about mental health. Healthy connections and a strong social support system are essential for suicide prevention. Programs like Sources of Strength and Wingman Connect focus on fostering healthy peer norms and building emotional resilience among young individuals. Sources of Strength has shown promising results, with schools implementing Sources of Strength seeing a 47% reduction in self-reported suicide attempts by students in the last year. Suicide prevention is not just an individual effort, but a community endeavor. Promoting healthy peer norms, creating supportive environments, and taking steps like greening urban spaces and teaching coping skills are essential to fostering well-being. Community-level prevention initiatives are vital as they can create healthy environments that support individuals struggling with suicidal thoughts. Creating protective environments means reducing access to lethal means. Research shows that limiting a person's access to methods of killing themselves dramatically decreases suicide rates in communities. If you have a gun, please keep your firearms locked away safely, unloaded in a separate location from its ammunition. 
Firearm safety is paramount. Firearms are the most common method of suicide in the United States, with research indicating that individuals with access to firearms are at a higher risk of dying by suicide. Firearms accounted for approximately 50% of suicide deaths in 2019. Beyond safe firearm storage practices, initiatives to limit firearm access for individuals at risk as well as creating mandatory wait time periods between purchasing and receiving firearms, can play a crucial role in reducing suicide deaths. Implementing firearm buyback programs has also been successful in reducing firearm-related suicides. Internationally, safe storage of pesticides is an important factor to address. One-third of global suicides involves pesticide consumption, primarily notable in rural areas of Asia, Latin America, and Sri Lanka. Additionally, implementing policies that restrict alcohol outlets and prescription drug supplies can help prevent suicide by decreasing access. Other means restrictions methods I feel are notable to include improve improving catalytic converters to have decreased carbon monoxide output, transitioning from coal gas to natural gas, again to decrease carbon monoxide output, and creating barriers at well-known suicide hotspots at bridges and railroads. The systematic review also highlights the effectiveness of pre-discharge education, follow-up contact, and outreach for psychiatric patients who have experienced a recent suicide crisis. It also notes the importance of specific psychotherapies, like CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, and DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, for treating individuals at risk. CBT and DBT are two forms of psychotherapy or, quote, talk therapy. In both, you work with a mental health professional to learn more about the challenges you experience and learn skills to help you manage these challenges on your own. CBT Cognitive Behavioral Therapy teaches you how your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors influence each other. CBT is structured, short-term, goal-oriented, and focused on the present moment. It starts with education around the particular mental illness or challenge and how this illness or challenge affects you. DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, is based on CBT, with a greater focus on emotional and social aspects. DBT was initially developed to help people cope with extreme or unstable emotions and harmful behaviors. It is frequently used in the treatment of borderline personality disorder, but is seen to be positive in many other mental illnesses and acute stress reactions. In short, the key differences between CBT and DBT are validation and relationships. DBT teaches you that your experiences are real and how to accept who you are, regardless of the challenges or difficult experiences. Additionally, fast-acting medications like ketamine have showed promise in rapidly reducing suicidal ideation within one to four hours, but more research is needed to understand its impact on suicidal behaviors. Finally, the review addresses the debate over the use of antidepressant treatments in adolescents and young adults emphasizing that the evidence supports reductions in suicidal behavior 
more significantly in larger scale studies and meta-analyses likely due to larger patient populations. This takeaway in the systematic review was informed via 17 randomized controlled trials and meta-analyses and pharmacoepidemiologic studies published since October 2004 when the United States Food and Drug Administration initially issued a black box warning after placebo-controlled trials of antidepressant medication found an increased risk of suicidal thoughts and behaviors among children and adolescents taking antidepressant medication relative to placebo. Although the whole point of my series here is that there are treatments beyond medication. I want to take a quick aside to say that there is nothing wrong with medication. It can help symptoms immensely. And when symptoms are severe to the point where it's impacting your life and you're having suicidal thoughts, there's nothing wrong with medication. There's a lot of potential benefits. It can work very well at minimizing depressive symptoms as well as reducing suicidal thoughts and behaviors. I'm not against medicine. I just want to emphasize that it does not reveal or treat the root cause of our symptoms. During times of acute crisis, this may be appropriate for you. But it's very important to weigh the risks and benefits and for your healthcare providers to ensure they're giving informed consent sharing these risk benefits and possible side effects of various psychotropics. Remember, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, you're not alone. Reach out for help. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available 24-7 at 988. You can call or text them. They aim to instill hope, preserve life, and enhance overall well-being. When someone reaches out for help, it can be a turning point in their journey. It's so important to help anyone get through the intense short moment of active suicidal ideation. The chances improve on surviving if we can get them through this time, and when we're able to get them through this time, the chances are decreased that they will die by suicide. Calling 911 or presenting to your nearest emergency room department is also a viable option. As I state this, I want to note that the impacts on historically harmed communities and individuals continues to be disproportionate, and I understand that involving or calling 911 or going to the emergency room can be a traumatic or potentially dangerous experience for some. It's important to note that the Lifeline 988's primary goal is to prevent suicide of those that use their services. 988 expects their crisis counselors to contact emergency services such as 911, police, or sheriff for assistance only in cases where the risk or harm to the self or others is imminent or in progress. When less invasive plans for call or texter's safety cannot be collaborated on upon within the individual. They utilize mobile crisis teams, the collaboration of individuals, loved ones, or even healthcare professionals, and support the individual to get to a crisis stabilization unit, ED, or an urgent care when needed. 
The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, available at 1-800-273-8255, provides support to millions of people in crisis each year. In 2020 alone, they answered over 2.2 millions of calls and continue to be a lifeline for individuals in need. In the digital age, they also offer a crisis chat service, which provides immediate assistance to those who may prefer to communicate online. These services play a crucial role in preventing suicide and providing a lifeline of hope to those who feel overwhelmed by their circumstances. Suicide is a multifaceted issue, and there is no one-size-fits-all solution. We must approach it from multiple angles, prevention, intervention, and support. Together, as a society, we can make a difference. Your life is invaluable. And there is hope for a brighter future tomorrow. The fight against suicide is an ongoing one, and it requires sustained commitment and resources. At this time, the world is not on track to reach the 2030 suicide reduction targets set by the World Health Organization. It's time to act now. The World Health Organization, who advocates for countries to take action to prevent suicide, ideally through a comprehensive national suicide prevention strategy called Live Life. L stands for Limit Access to Means of Suicide, I for Interact with the Media Responsible for Reporting, F for Fostering Life Skills of Young Individuals, and E for Early Identification and Support. In the United States, the federal government and various states have implemented suicide prevention strategies based upon the CDC's 100-page resource for action. These strategies include public health campaigns, community-based programs, and initiatives aimed at strengthening crisis helplines. By supporting and expanding these efforts, we can continue to make progress in reducing the burden of suicide on individuals, families, and communities alike. Financial insecurity is a risk factor for suicide, and strengthening economic supports is crucial. Policies that support unemployment benefits, job training, and early access to Social Security, as well as minimum wage increases, can enhance financial security and reduce the risk of suicide. Economic stress is a significant risk factor for suicide, and the COVID-19 pandemic has heightened financial challenges for many individuals and families. A study conducted in 2020 estimated the pandemic could lead to an additional 20,000 suicides in the U.S. over the subsequent decades. The economic fallout from the pandemic underscored the importance of strengthening economic supports and social safety nets to mitigate suicide risk during times of crisis. Increasing access to suicide care is essential. This includes mental health parity laws, greater availability of healthcare providers in underserved areas, and the increase in use of telemedicine and mobile applications to provide rapid and remote access to help. The United States has made progress in improving access to mental health services with the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act of 2008 requiring health insurances to provide coverage for mental health and substance use services that is comparable to coverage for physical health services. However, disparities in access to care continue to persist. In 2019, 
11.2% of adults with mental illnesses were unable to receive the mental health care that they needed, highlighting the continued need for efforts to ensure that all individuals have access to timely and appropriate care. Zero suicide is a comprehensive approach that encourages systematic change within healthcare facilities to prevent suicide. This initiative promotes safer suicide care, highlights the importance of training healthcare professionals, and focuses on improving the overall patient experience. The Zero Suicide Initiative has shown promise in improving the quality of suicide care and reducing suicide deaths. Healthcare systems that have implemented zero-suicide approaches have observed significant reductions in suicide rates among their patients. The emphasis on training healthcare professionals and integrating suicide prevention into the standard care practices is an essential step in making healthcare environments safer for individuals at risk of suicide. The future of suicide prevention holds the promise of continued programs. With advances of technology, research, and growing awareness of the importance of mental health, we can make significant strides in reducing suicide rates together. The ongoing research into causes and risk factors for suicide, coupled with the innovative treatment options, offers hope for those struggling with suicidal thoughts. Advances in telemedicine and digital mental health resources provide more accessible options for individuals seeking help. Additionally, the growing recognition of the importance of mental health in public health initiatives signifies a positive shift in addressing the mental health needs of our communities. Suicide is a complex and deeply concerning issue, but it's one that we can tackle together. The statistics and insights we've discussed today provide a stark picture of the problem, but they also highlight the importance of taking proactive measures. Remember, there is hope, you are loved, and there are countless individuals and organizations dedicated to preventing suicide and supporting those in crisis. You're never alone in your struggle. Seeking help is an act of courage and strength. Let's work together to bring hope and healing to those who need it most. That's all for today's debut episode of Heightened Intentions While Being Beyond Medicine. I'd like to express my deepest gratitude for your time and attention today. If you know someone or you are someone who is struggling with suicidal thoughts, please reach out to a trusted friend, family member, or a mental health professional today. You can always contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988 or the crisis text line by texting, quote, hello to 741-741. Remember, there is help, there is hope, and there are always people who care. This world is a much better place with you in that, and I can guarantee you that. Thank you for being a part of this essential conversation, and let's continue to work together towards a future where every life is valued and every voice is heard. Until next time, take care and stay well.